Warm welcome to everybody this morning. Fantastic to see you all here this morning. And uh, great if you're visiting us or if you're with us for the first time. Got a spot of visitor. Um, so, it's really good to see you this morning. Very, very warm welcome. If you are visiting us, then please do relax. We're a family here. And uh, families with hope should be relaxed together. So just relax, enjoy your time, be open to what God has for you this morning. There are a couple of notices that I want to bring to your attention, but first of all, I'll just open the meeting in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together this morning. Help us, Lord, never to take these times for granted but to really appreciate them. To appreciate the opportunity for close fellowship with you. To hear from you through Holy Spirit this morning. The opportunity for fellowship with one another. The opportunity to bless one another through worshipping together, through sharing through hearing what you have to say through the word brought to us this morning by Ron. Through all the things that happen and through fellowship after the meeting. So we ask that you bless this time. We ask that you inspire this time through your Holy Spirit. Bring something special, Holy Spirit, for each and every person here this morning. And we ask that, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I just want to bring your attention to one particular notice that was up there, um, which is the offering this morning is going to be sent to Tear Fund to the Turkey-Syria Earthquake Appeal. We uh, were given that opportunity through David, thank you, who is our Tear Fund contact in church, and he brought it to our attention that that opportunity existed. And we thought, yes, we want to seize that opportunity. Because Tear Fund is an organisation we already have links with. Rather than sending money, it's important, um, but to things like the Disaster Emergency Committee, very large committee, spreads it out over lots of different charities. We thought, no, we will support a charity whom we know, whom we already have links with, yes and who are already active in Syria. So whatever's collected in the offering boxes this morning, you know where they are, at the back and at the front here, will be sent to Tear Fund, Turkey-Syria Earthquake Appeal. The other thing I wanted to mention was um, that there is a Hope Together praise and worship <coughs> service. I don't know if you can see this. If you want more information, come and talk to me. There is a praise and worship service tonight, Sunday the 12th of February at 6.30, St. Michael's Church, Stannings. It is a special joint service um, to pray and worship together about the mission that is happening in March. And it's 
being run by St. James's Church along with other churches in the Two Rivers Mission community. So St. Michael Stoics, St. Michael Fina, and so on. I won't run the list by you, they're all here. So we're doing a week-long mission from the 11th to the 19th of March. Uh, they have a great group of eight students and a tutor coming from Wycliffe Hall Theological College in Oxford to join them in that mission. And they've asked CCF, as one of the other churches they've approached, to see if we would be interested in supporting the mission. Um, we don't know what that's going to look like yet. We're going to talk about it in the elders' meeting tomorrow. But this is the pre-meeting, as it were, before the mission. What time are you? It's uh, seven. It's six thirty. It's not STC Standard Church time at seven thirty. It's six thirty <coughs> tonight. St. Uh, Michael's Church, Stanick. So. If it's something you feel interested in, if it's something you want to engage with, please do go along. And I'll hand over now to Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ian. Morning, everybody. Morning. We're going to worship together. If you want to stand, you can do. If you'd like to sit, do whatever you want. <laughs> the important thing is that we're going to look to Jesus and we're going to worship him. So. so we want to see Jesus lifted higher. Jesus. 
might just want to hold your hands now, palms upwards. And as Ben continues to pray, just be open to receive those blessings that God has for us because He has so much for us, so much that He wants to give us, give you, give me today. But we have to be willing to receive it. So just as a gesture of openness, you might just want to hold your hands out to spiritually receive those blessings. opportunity to give back to you in worship and we trust Lord that our praise and worship is acceptable in your sight in Jesus name I hope you feel ready to hear the word wow what a build up <laughs> come up Rob they might be disappointed that would be likelihood <laughs> I'll just pray for Ron and then he'll bring his word to us from the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our brother Ron. We thank you for all the time he spent with you in your word, preparing what he's brought to us today. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to be open to receive and to listen. Give us understanding. And help us to take away 
new things from you, that draws deeper in relationship with you. So we pray for Ron now, we pray our anointing upon him, we thank you for him, and we thank you for the word that he's prepared. For your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the topic, um, and uh, it's by way of revision. Okay, my grandchildren are revising for exams, so I thought that a revision for us wouldn't go amiss. Fairly basic. I don't think there's going to be anything new, but it doesn't do any harm to get back to basics. Sin, <clears throat> law, and grace. Sin. Such an old-fashioned and irrelevant term, isn't it, these days? Does anybody think about it? But in Jesus' time, <clears throat> the sacrificial system reinforced the significance of sin to the Jewish people. It cost them something. They had to sacrifice part of their lives, their, their income, their sheep and everything. It cost them if they sinned. But we live in a society that has, makes little sense. That makes no sense to our society. And the refusal to be serious about sin, or to believe that God takes sin seriously, has spread from the world into the church. I'm not saying specifically here, but generally it has spread. Many inside the church only have a very limited understanding of the seriousness of sin from God's point of view. In a survey of Christians back in 1985, this was, in Europe, 45% admitted they had never experienced any feelings of regret about their actions. I'm not sure that's improved any. So what is sin? Let's start at the beginning. God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So we have been created in the likeness of God. We reflected his likeness. We were imagers of God. Yeah? And Adam and Eve blew it, as we know. They listened to Satan and chose to follow Satan's direction rather than God's direction. But if God had warned them what would happen if they did that, he said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Something in that moment changed in mankind. The character of God within mankind died. We, as a nation, as mankind, no longer reflect God's character. We no longer reflect it. We reflect the character of Satan, by and large. Sin then may be defined ultimately as anything which does not express or which is contrary to the holy nature of God. Anything that doesn't reflect God's character is sin. And this is what Paul means when he talks in Romans. He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't reflect the glory. That's what that means. It's not just the things that we do or don't do or whatever. We no longer reflect the character of God because that character no longer resides within us. It no longer resides within us. Our basic makeup now. <coughs> Romans 5.12 Therefore, <clears throat> as by one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. 
The result of the disobedience was that sin entered the world. Now, something enters. It ha it, it, entering isn't an action, okay? Entering, so, if something enters, it must be a thing. Would you agree with me? Yeah? It was already in the spiritual realms when Satan sinned, but now it came in. And it has to be, it's not an action, it has to be a thing. It not only entered the world, it entered into the makeup of man. It became the default nature of our being. Our deepest being was now sinful because it no longer reflected God's glory. You see, sin is a noun as well as a verb. And I think it can be helpful if we see sin as something rather than something that we do. Sin is a thing, okay? It's at the center of who we are. It's, it's almost like a parasite within us. You've heard the expression rotten to the core. That is the standing of man before God. They are rotten to the core. And it's because of this within us that we carry out these sinful acts. We have no choice in a sense. It's a thing that's very at the center. We do have a free will so we can choose not to do what we think is evil, but the good things we do in no way compensate or rule out the rottenness that's within us. That's why the Bible tells us that we're all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness is like filthy rags because it's not coming from the character of God, it's coming from the character of Satan, which we try to do good. So sin became the central character of Adam, and it's what he passed on to all his descendants, almost like a genetic disease. It was passed down from generation to generation. And by obeying God, Satan rather than God, Adam handed over creation to Satan. Yeah? We had dominion, we gave it to Satan. He's the prince of this world. But God isn't about to allow his creation to be ruled by Satan. He wants it back again. But because he is a righteous and just God, he can't just take it. It was legally handed by Adam to Satan, so he has to find some way. It has to be bought back or redeemed by another man. Man handed it over, man has to get it back again. God set in motion a plan to redeem his creation. He said in Genesis, I will put enmity between you, that's Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the promise of the Messiah. This is the first inkling we have of the Messiah, who would redeem mankind and eventually all of creation. Until now we come to the law of it. Until the Messiah came, the problem of sin living within us remained an issue. Evil continued on the earth and within mankind, and mankind suffered because of this. God wanted to restrain the evil. He didn't want this evil to have dominance in the world. So when it got too bad, he sorted it out. He sent a flood to, to deal with the evil at that time. Tower of Babel, things were starting to get bad again, so he scattered the nations so they wouldn't all be together. To be a temporary solution, God selected one representative nation, that was Israel, <clears throat> to be a witness to the world of what the blessings would be if you lived under God's jurisdiction and under God's guidance. However, 
Being chosen by God <clears throat> does not solve, did not solve the problem of evil in man's heart. But to hold back the evil, God introduced laws <laughs> for his people. He said, why then the law? <clears throat> it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. This was put in place to hold back the evil. All right, that's what the laws were there for. And the law in a, was also an agreement between God and Israel, a covenant between God and Israel. And a covenant is voluntary. All right? It's an agreement between two parties, and once you accept it, then that's it. Now, many of you will have mobile phones, I suspect. Uh, <coughs> you'll have signed a contract <coughs> with EE or Vodafone or whoever it happens to be. You didn't have to, but you won't have a phone if you don't. So it's a voluntary contract. And in keeping the term, if they kept the terms of the contract, then the relationship would be restored to a, to a level. But it didn't solve the problem of evil in, the ma in man's heart. The heart could not be changed by keeping the law. Galatians says, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. You can't change who you are by keeping the law. <coughs> the evil in man's heart, it's a little bit like, if you like, dry rot in the house. If you've got a house and you've got a survey, you have to get rid of the timbers. You have to get shot of them. The problem is that everyone has this rot within them. So we, mankind does not have a solution within itself to solve this. It's like you know, a slave market in, in, in Roman times. They had a market where all the slaves were there. No slave could help another slave get out. It needed a free man to buy the slave to get them out. And as far as we're concerned, that person was Jesus. And it says here in, in Romans, for the death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. You see, the issue of the human race is not primarily us. It's not the human being, but it's the sin within us that God has to deal with. He has to kill the disease without killing the person. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Jesus was made sin. And on the cross, he was sin. And on the cross, sin died. Or at least sin within man's heart died. I'll come to how that happens shortly. It's been dealt with in the heart for all time by for all men. Jesus didn't have the sin nature dwelling within him, but by his sinless life he fulfilled all the laws of the old covenant in order to fully restore the relationship with God. This is the basis of the new covenant, right? Now, the new covenant, again, is a covenant. And you have to enter into it voluntarily. No one can impose a covenant upon you. You're not forced to enter. But the terms of, this, of the new covenant is that you accept Jesus as Lord of your life. And do as he tells you. Well, that's the terms. Do as he tells you. Okay, you don't have to. It's voluntary. When we come to believe in Jesus and trust in him, we put into him and our own sin nature is killed, is crucified. God kills the sin in us, but preserves the person who 
because he wants a relationship with that person. He wants to love us and bless us. Romans 6 says, Knowing this, our old man is crucified with him, that the holy that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. We have a choice. Sin no longer dwells in the heart of those who have been born again. You have to be truly born again and accept Jesus as your Savior, as your substitute. Trust on him, not just believe that he died and all that sort of stuff. You actually have to accept who he is and what he's done for you. Our natural state is dead spiritually. This, then, is grace. That is grace. A classic definition of grace is always said, um, God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. But I think, I have a, for myself, I tend to see it as God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Yeah. That's what I, that's I, where I see it. It says for Ephesians says, for by grace you have been saved, through faith. Mm. This is not your own doing, faith's a gift, it's a gift of God, not the result of works, so nobody can boast. God has given us this gift, that is grace. There is no way by keeping the law we could have dealt with the problem. Every thought and action was motivated by the sin within us, and all our righteousnesses were like filthy rags. It was only by killing the old nature and giving us a new birth that we could be saved. Now I understand that Ben's birthday is a few days. Yeah? Tell me, Gail. <coughs> how much did Ben contribute to the birth process? <laughs> but he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. It's the same with being born again. We can't do anything to be saved. It's something that only God can do in birthing us. Before we believed in Jesus and for our salvation, we probably didn't think about sin very much. But now we're Christians, we are much more aware of it, of our shortcomings and our faults. Or at least we should be. <coughs> if you're not, you'll see me afterwards. Um, why is this? This is because the, the requirements of the law still stand. Jesus said in Matthew, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So the law is still there. If sin has been killed in our bodies, why do we have such a problem with it? Paul says, I delight in the law of God, my inner being, but in my members I see another war, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Okay, it's in your body, in your flesh, if you want to call it that. No longer in your heart if you've been born again. And if you haven't, see me afterwards. We still have a problem because the fall didn't just affect the heart of man. The whole of creation is affected. We read about the creation groaning. Our bodies, Flesh is part of that creation. The flesh is part of that creation. And sin, although not in the spirit is anymore, still operates through our flesh, through our members. As Romans says, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. 
Now, there are several verses when you read through you know, Romans, Galatians, which suggest we can ignore them all. It's important to recognize that we must always compare Scripture with Scripture and not take one verse out of context and make a doctrine out of it. So, these are four verses. It says, likewise, my brothers, you've died to the law. Now we're released from the law. If you're, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And since you're not under law, you're un under grace. These verses all relate to our relationship with the law. It doesn't say the law has died. It says we have died to the law, which is a very different thing. Paul makes it very clear that in Romans that this is not the case. It says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for those who believe. Okay, it's only for your right standing with God that the law is finished. All right? It's only for that that it's finished. The term, the law, and the terms and the conditions of the covenant that God made with Israel are these. He, 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 they still stand. In speaking of a new covenant, he made the first one obsolete. And what is going obsolete is old and ready to vanish. It is the covenant that is obsolete. It is not the law which is obsolete because God created the law and he does not change. The covenant is over. The Old Covenant is over. The New, Test New the Old Testament is still God's Word. And neither has the terms of the covenant changed. You'd be surprised to hear this. Thinking this. The terms of the covenant haven't changed. Just where it's written. The covenant is longer written on tablets of stone. It's written in our hearts. And we're still aware of those terms in our spirit, and that's how the Holy Spirit will convict us of sins. So where do we stand then with the laws of the Torah under the New Covenant? How do we understand all these laws that we read about in the Old Testament? Today, for us, it's easy to uh, perceive the law as a series of disconnected, and largely outmoded regulations and demands by God. But they make much more sense if you consider the culture in which they were living. That all, God had chosen Israel, but all the cultures around about didn't have written laws like that. And anywhere there are no laws, you have chaos. You have the strongest ruling. And we can see sometimes that happening, particularly in the States over the last couple of years. Where there are no laws, the strongest in society rule over the weakest. But all people have some idea of how things ought to be. And when, we were, when people in those days perceived something that they considered to be wrong, uh, they took revenge rather than justice. If someone took out your eye, they'd say, okay, I'll take both his eyes. And this is where God comes in and changes the things. He replaced he replaced revenge with justice. That's why he wrote for, for an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The punishment must not exceed the crime. But still, sin is still within our fleshly nature. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that, that is not. We have been cleansed for unrighteousness as far as our standing with God's concerned, but we still 
have unrighteous acts, and I'll come to why it's important that they don't do that. So one, not one iota of the law is to pass away until heaven and earth passes away. <clears throat> so which bits of the Old Testament law is written in our hearts that we have to confess as sin? Do we have to confess as sin if we don't stone an adulterer? I don't know. I'm just asking. To better understand where we stand, I think it's helpful uh, to consider the law in three different areas. <clears throat> we have the moral law, <clears throat> which is essentially a Ten Commandments. <clears throat> that is the direct command of God. It requires strict obedience and it reveals God's nature and will and it still applies today. That is the moral law. It's based on love, as, we, as Jesus said. The second one is the ceremonial or the sacrificial law. And these laws relate specifically to Israel's worship and its sacrificial system. And its purpose was to point towards Jesus. And since Jesus has died and been resurrected, these laws, sacrificial laws, no longer apply. And I'm sure George will be very happy to hear we don't have to grab one of his cattle and sacrifice it. The third type is the civil law. The civil law is laws uh, apply to daily living in Israel as a nation. Okay, it's in many ways, it's based on the moral law. But because modern society is so different from Israel, these guidelines cannot be followed specifically, but they are good guidelines on which to base our laws. But we as Christians do seem to have a conflict of understanding between law and grace. Which of the laws are we supposed to take and we know about grace? We are righteous in God's eyes, whatever we do. Once we're born again, we're righteous in God's eyes. We really are free from keeping the law to make God love us. The cross changed all of that. Jesus kept the law on our behalf. And God's willingness to forgive and to receive us is not the result of the cross. It was the cause of the cross. It was because he wanted that relationship with us that Jesus went to the cross. He loved us while we were still sinners. Now most people hold, worldwide, hold to some standards of morality. They have an idea of what's right and what's wrong. And even of, as believers, we still make demands of ourselves. We each, I suspect, have some standard of living which we believe we ought to live up to. Or is it just me? <laughs> and we continually fail to keep those standards. Yeah? Yeah. yeah? And there's something within us that seems to push living up those standards into laws. We have to obey this in a certain way for God to love us. How many times have we promised to stop doing something or to try and do better, and yet we fail time and time again? I hope it's not just me. No. No. <laughs> the other thing is that we also put standards onto other people. We also put standards onto other people. I was very impressed by watching a Bible study on Revelation TV. There's a wonderful Bible teacher there called John Campbell. At the time, his wife was suffering dementia, was in a chair, couldn't do anything for herself. And it was his, his, um, he would make 
hot chocolate for her every evening. So he went one evening, made hot chocolate. Unfortunately, he spilled it, so I got a bit uptight. So he made another one and took it through to her. And she spilled it. And he got very angry. And he realized afterwards that this was not right. He said, Lord, why did I respond like that? He said, legalism. You had put your laws onto her. You expected her to behave in a certain way, and she didn't. And that is legalism. And we are very guilty of doing exactly the same with each other. And this is where judgmental attitudes come from. We put our standards onto other people. So how do we live under the grace and still uphold God's Old Testament laws and the even harder New Testament ones? They're all summed up under the new the law of Christ. We're to love one another. But I think it's so ingrained in our fleshly nature try and keep these laws, we try harder and harder. But if we couldn't keep the law before we were born again, why do we think we can do it now? There's only one way. They said to me, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, said the Lord of hosts. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God has done what we could not do. It's grace. You see, the problem was never you. The problem is no problem with you. He only has a problem with sin. Just like the sin in our hearts, he will sort out the sin within our nature if we let him. But we have to allow him to do it. And it's only by walking in the Spirit, as we've heard, that this is possible. It's only by spending time with God, allowing the Holy Spirit to change us. He does it. I don't know how he does it, but it happens. Amen. Somehow or other, you just don't feel like doing what you used to be doing. The scriptures say, can two walk together except they be agreed? We have to agree with the Holy Spirit when he convicts us. And he's using those laws within us to convict us of what is wrong in our Christian life. <clears throat> to finish, I believe it's important to keep God's standards, his, his laws. Not for our salvation, but for two or three other reasons. The first is that law is not an imposition. The law is a gift. I think we should see the law as a gift. It is a fence around life warning us that if we stray beyond the boundaries, into stealing, adultery, idol worship, all of these things, we shall fall out with God, with one another, and do ourselves harm. That is beyond our own repairing. We have freedom of choice, but we cannot, we don't have the freedom to choose the consequences of our choices. Every choice has a consequence. Second reason is to be a witness to others. The world knows jolly well what, how Christians should behave. They know jolly well. They said, well, you know, they've heard people saying, oh gosh, you can't be a Christian and do that. They know how we should behave. <clears throat> the third reason is for God's holy name. We do not want to be misrepresenting God. We don't want to take his name. That's what taking his name in vain is, is misrepresenting him. Psalm 23 says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's right. It's to honor God. We should keep the laws and love one another. Thank you, Ron. That was uh, 
was really clear on the teaching. So, that brings us to the end of our meeting this morning. We've heard that God loves us. We've heard that God wants to bless us. We've heard that we're not to worry. And uh, Ron's reminded us of Christ's two commandments. And uh, I always think of that ongoing walk, if you like, uh, as the process of sanctification. Not salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift by grace. God made that very, very clear. But that's what sanctification is all about. Becoming more and more Christ-like. Less and less of us. More and more of him. And uh, I think Ron made that, that really clear this morning. That was one blessing. Thank you for walking us through that, Ron. It's always good to be reminded of these key things so important. So I'll finish now with a, a prayer and then um, Steve I think will rerun the little notices video so if you are busy talking or taking your seats or not concentrating. Harris, I thought that would never happen would it? No, 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 you're always cheering all the time. But if you did miss it the first time round, uh, the notices will be replayed again. Um, just after we finish now. <coughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you for your word to us, brought to us through what Frank shared about worrying, through what Katie brought us about blessings, through what Sheila brought us, and about love, through what Carol brought us with her sharing. Wasn't that wonderful? Seeing that free worship, I just thought that was so splendid during yes. our worship time this morning. I just feel we've been so blessed and so encouraged this morning. Just help us to take away what we've heard from you this morning. Not just remember it, but actually act on it. And deepen our relationship with you. Help us to seek your help, Lord, in the things that you want us to put right in our lives. And bless us in the coming week, we pray. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love for us. Mm. And we give you the glory. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.